this is such a fun conversation today with Lynn Bowman, author of Brownies for Breakfast. I loved Lynn's common sense approach to eating plant-based and to taking care of ourselves and reversing or improving our chronic illness. Lynn herself has type 2 diabetes, but through changes to her eating and lifestyle, mainly through eating a whole food plant-based diet, her numbers are barely in the diabetic range now. We talked not only about her cookbook, which is such an easy practical cookbook that anyone should have it, but also we talked about how to get your kids involved in the nutrition process early by having them help shop, read labels, cook together, and eat in community together. You are going to love this conversation. I sure did. As a reminder, you can find all the show notes on our sponsored blog, badtothebull.com forward slash 47. Once again, that's badtothebull.com forward slash 47. Let's dive in and meet Lynn. It's time to adapt to a plant-based palate, minimize waste, and respect our environment. Hello, we are Joe and Sarah Hayes, and we are the hosts of the Bowl of Life podcast where we are encouraging you to join the plant-forward food movement. It's time for vegetables to move from the side of your plate to the center, and we are here each week to help you do that. So if increasing your vegetable consumption and limiting your animal proteins sounds like a win-win to you, go grab a spoon or fork, and let's dive in to learning more about how you can be plant-forward. Hello, and welcome back to the Bowl of Life podcast. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Lynn Bowman, author of the book, Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. And Lynn, I won't give away too much of her story here, but she, we've just had so much fun chatting before I hit record on this podcast and she's so wise. And even today, you know, after she took matters into her own hand and kind of changed her diet and, and all that. Um, 30 years later from her diagnosis, her numbers are barely in the diabetic range, if, if at all, right? So we're going to talk about her book. We're going to talk about her journey. And I just love conversations like this and connecting with amazing people. So let's dive in and meet Lynn. Hi, I am so happy to be here. And I love the way you introduced it, Sarah. Thank you. Because I wanted the book to be a conversation. I really wanted people to, you know, feel comfortable inside the pages and see themselves inside the pages. And it's, it is really super easy recipes, most of them. And it's about half story and about half recipes. Uh, And I was hoping that someone would be able to get all the way through or open it up anywhere and go, huh, <laughs> what's this? Um, it's a, And I'm also proud that it's a recipe book with a, actually pictures of dogs and a weasel in it. So, Oh, a weasel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this may be the only cookbook ever to have a picture of a weasel in it, just so you know. Well, there's got to be a story there. I can't let this pass by without asking you, why there, Why is there a picture of the weasel in the book? Well, because one of my subheads is I almost weaseled on writing the book. It was going to be a big deal to write the book. And um, my daughter, who is a, uh, a medical, she is a nurse practitioner, begged me to write the book because she her, her specialty is gerontology. And she, I tell the story in the book of how she was tending to an older guy and she said, Ma, he, he's a vet and he's about your age and he's about to lose his leg. And I told him about your book. I told him you were writing a book with great, yummy food, simple for diabetics. And he said, tell your mom to write that book, write that book. I wish she had written that book for me. So in a way, I'm writing it for him, and I'm writing it for my daughter, and I'm writing it for all of (laughs) y'all, because nobody wants to have any kind of a chronic disease. And, you know, diabetes is largely preventable. Um, Type 1 is not particularly preventable. They're making research, you know, along those lines, and is that there are some culprits that have been found in, uh, in, youth 
diabetes. Mm. Uh, milk is a suspect, by the way. Oh, um, yeah. Um, but the the purpose for the book is to help all of us avoid having chronic disease. And something like eighty percent of the chronic disease in this country is avoidable, is preventable. Mm. You just need to eat well and sleep well and do a little bit of exercise, not too hard. So, Right. right. Why do we make it so confusing, right? Why, why don't we yeah. follow that then? <laughs> yeah. And it's all right in the book. I tell you about all of it. <laughs> so, and, and I brought up sleep just then, which uh, to me is fascinating when you look at the relationship between sleep and diet. A lot of people don't really make that connection that you cannot sleep well if you don't eat well. And you can't, and there's research behind this, uh, and I cite all of it, uh, you can't eat well if you don't sleep well. So it works both ways. And you can only heal when you are in deep sleep. So- yes, yes, I think I was just listening to, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with that book, How Not to Die. Oh, I love the book. Yeah. Yes, yes. And he talks a lot about that, about how your body repairs itself yes. at night yes. during yes. the sleep cycle. <laughs> and in fact, the author of that book, Dr. Michael Greger, is one of the guys who really pushed me along in this journey because I had the book about, I don't know, a third, a half written. And I suddenly got a notion that I had to go to this conference in Oakland, California called the Plantricians Conference which was a gathering of MDs, docs from all over the world who believed in healing with food. Mm. And as a result, were kind of on the outer fringes of the medical community, but respected um, surgeons and you know every stripe of doctor. So I signed up and, and showed up. And for five days, <laughs> I watched um, the dreaded PowerPoint presentations <laughs> from eight in the morning until eight o'clock at night, just one after another of doctors like Dr. Gregor, he was one of the presenters, um, talking about what they see that is the result of how people are eating. And of course, they're talking about the American diet today. Mm. And they talked about doing surgeries on eight, nine-year-old children, finding their veins full of plaque and all of the other things that they see that are a result of people eating processed food and animal foods. And then one of the big revelations for me, uh, you talk about your journey as as a diabetic, I had always believed, and it was pretty much standard issue, that it was carbs, and I just needed to keep those carbs down all the time, and I knew how to keep the carbs low, and I did that, and I exercised. But what happened at this plantricians conference was there were a number of quite dramatic, convincing presentations uh, at the cellular level talking about what animal fat did to Mm. cause diabetes. Mm. yeah that's what i said yeah yeah because you always like you just said you always hear it preach the carbs the carbs the carbs yes so we looked at at these big giant slides of these cells doing this and that and it has to do with the cellular uptake of glucose and in a very i'll repeat it in the crudest way but it's it's that the animal fat gets in the way it it makes a coating around cells that the glucose can't get through to be taken up to become the energy that you're trying to get. So I, what I just, it was a head slapper for me because of course the bad news was I had to go home and rewrite this book with this in mind. <sighs> and the good news was I thought, okay, I get it. Um, and as I was leaving, in fact, my husband picked me up because it's about an hour from my home. And I got in the car and I gave him a little little short version of what was happening. And I said, I'm, I'm going vegan. I'm, I'm vegan as of right now. Um, and to my great surprise, he said, I'm in. Huh? Uh, and so that was uh, September of 2019. I had just had my blood work done. So six months later, I had it tested again. And lo and behold, I had gone down three points 
in uh, my hemoglobin A1C. Now, if you don't know what that is, I want you to, to know what it is because hemoglobin A1C is the test that, that tells whether you, on average, have high blood sugar. It's not the test of how you are today or how you are this hour. It's a test that you typically start getting in your 40s or 50s. Uh, if you are suspected of being a diabetic, then your, your uh, doc will probably want that blood work. And um, there I was, here I 70, at the time I was what, 73, 74, and I reduced pretty dramatically my blood glu- my average blood glucose. And my physician said, that just doesn't happen <laughs> at your wow. age. And I said, yes, it did. And you just saw it. So, so I was really inspired even more than to finish the book, but to move to what the book is essentially is pescatarian or pescatarian. I'm not sure how we say that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of, of recipes that involve fish. Right. Um, and there are recipes where you can choose to use eggs or an egg replacer. But that's all. And I also say in the book, and I'll say it again now, if you buy meat, if you eat meat, buy it from my neighbors or your neighbors who are raising grass-fed, healthy, happy pigs or chickens or uh, beef. Um, If you can see the beef, if you can see it standing on the hill, uh, uh, then that's okay. If it's eaten good healthy food, it's okay. But no factory farmed anything, no pork, beef, lamb, anything that hasn't eaten actual grass on an actual hillside for its whole life. And I was also really surprised at this plantrician's conference that one of the things that kept coming up as the thing you definitely want to avoid is chicken. And of course, you know, all of us are going, wait, I thought chicken was what we were supposed to be eating, right? <laughs> right. But no, uh, because of the way they're they're raised and the antibiotics that they get and the other things that go into their little little feathery systems, no, uh, n- no chicken either. So um, yeah, <laughs> right, right. And, yeah, it's like reversing the script of everything we've yes. been taught. You know, and yeah. I, I feel like this goes for other other chronic diseases as well. I've had someone on the podcast as well who reversed her heart disease um, by going plant-based and, you know, doctors had told her, well, just eat your chicken, eat your oils. And then she's like, and then she had came across, you know, some other studies out there and she's like, but wait a second, other people are reversing their heart disease by doing the exact opposite of that. (laughs) And I was already doing that. And you're telling me I'm going to have to go on some drugs and I don't want to do that. Yeah, no. And a lot of the uh, leaders, thought leaders about reversing heart disease were in this plantrician's conference and, you know, telling all of the stories from decades now of this being very successful. Um, diabetes, it it's, yes. And what we're talking about, Sarah, is something that goes for kidney disease, liver disease, heart disease, um, <clears throat> in fact, anything involving your gut um, at all, um, eating a plant-based whole food diet is going to improve it. So, uh, and I, there's just, it's, it's hard to refute the, the evidence at this point. It's, it's really very, more and more becoming accepted by um, standard medical practice uh, in the West, that if you want to rid yourself of chronic disease, you need to eat a whole food plant-based diet. And what I wanted to do with the book was to say, but that can be great, right? Right. People hear the word diet all of a sudden, no matter if it says whole food plant-based, you know, that word diet's in there and suddenly we run for the hills, right? We're like, whoa, what's this? (laughs) So what we're really talking about is more color, more variety, more good taste, more spices, so many good things that if you're eating Big Macs every day for lunch, you're missing out. 
Yeah. You know, you're, you're not getting the full rainbow of wonderful food that you could be eating because you're stuck in a beige groove. In a beige groove. I like that. Right. Um, and meat, um, Meat, yeah, and and we should talk about oils a little bit too. One of the things that uh, I try to stay with in the book, it's not always easy, but the plant-based whole food diet does not involve added oils in its pure form. Um, If you're eating an avocado, that's got fat in it. It's got oil in it, but you haven't added any oils. So avocado's good. If you're sloshing coconut oil on something or, or pouring um, uh, any kind of olive oil on something, that's added oil. So, yeah, I use a little olive oil, you know, and I use a little coconut oil. But for the most part, it, it needs to be minimal in order to keep your program, you know, going straight ahead. And part of any chronic disease is keeping your weight in a certain range. That's just the way it is. Um, And, you know, so you have to sort of watch overall calories and sort of watch your oils. But in the book, what I, I actually put nutritional values on each of the recipes so that you'd have them. But one of the things I talk about is I don't want you counting, you know, all these things uh, if you don't have to. People who are on dialysis or have a kidney disease are, are advised to watch their potassium, for example, very carefully. Okay. So those values are in the book. And um, there are other, a couple of other key values that are in there. Your carbs are in there. But I am definitely not somebody who thinks that you should be counting stuff at every meal. I don't want you counting anything. Yeah, and, it just adds to your stress, right? <laughs> yeah, I want you to enjoy every meal. You know, well, that's really- the nice thing about a plant-based diet as well, um, unless you're specifically looking maybe for that potassium or something, you know, key kind of mineral nutrient. Right. Um, you really don't have to worry about that calorie count. No, you don't. That's true. Uh, because... Well, and here's, can we talk about another <laughs> really, really delicate subject? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? I love sugar. it. Sugar. Let's oh, talk about yes. Sugar. That's huge. <laughs> because um, the, the more I go along this path of doing the research and writing around healthy eating, uh, I want everybody to not just cut it down. I want you to quit. I want you to just get rid of it gone, no more. Um, and one of the things that, uh, I, I think people will find encouraging and exciting about my book and maybe some others is that there are now sugar substitutes that are really good. They're really good. And so my, and, and the title of the book, brownies for breakfast I want brownies for breakfast. (laughs) But who doesn't want brownies for breakfast? And there are also donut recipes. There are pie recipes. There are cake recipes. Because that's a cheap, tacky way for me to get y'all interested in eating healthy, good food. Because you can, my brownies, I guarantee you, if you you will make these brownies and pass them out to your friends, have a taste test at your family table and see if anybody is going to go, eh, no. You know, no. They're, They're really wonderful. But they're also full of nutrition. There's no sugar. There's no flour. There's no added oil. Um, they are full of a vegetable. Mm. Let me Want to know, know about your black beans. Mm. Okay. My brownies are made from nut butter. Either uh, I use cashew sometimes in the book. The recipe is almond butter Ooh. and pumpkin. Oh, I love that. I've not heard of that combination. In a- it's fabulous. And you would not know that pumpkin was in there. I love pumpkin, but pumpkin has this magic quality of substituting for both oil and flour. Yeah. And so, and my, the brownies have a little cinnamon in them, lots of cocoa, 
And what else? Um, hardly anything else. So simple. You you throw, oh, eggs or egg substitute. You throw it in a bowl. You mix it up. You put it in the brownie, the brownie pan. But when you look at the nutritional profile, it's lots of protein. It's vitamin A. It's it's everything that wonderful that pumpkin brings to the party. Yeah, lots of fiber. <laughs> lots of fiber. And the nuts, lots of fiber. And so it's not, I mean, it's a dessert, but if you gave it to your kids for breakfast, you'd be a super parent because you're giving them great food. And, or if you gave it to a senior that you loved who had been drinking Ensure you um, to keep their, I mean, it, it's good for everybody. It's just good food. Right. So, and it goes back to, too, as well, as it's made with whole foods. It's not... Right. You know, the insure, which you're quite not sure where the ingredients really came yeah. from. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is made out of real food. Oh, and what I left out was the sweetener. The sweetener is monk fruit. Mm, yes, I've heard a lot about monk fruit. I, yeah. I haven't cooked with it much, though. Well, they are now making great powdered or granulated sweeteners out of monk fruit. And sometimes it's, it's uh, mixed with xylitol, which is a crummy name, but it's a good sweetener. Um, I also use chicory root, and, but monk fruit is just a fruit. It's a ground up fruit and it does not, has zero calories, does not spike blood sugar in any way, uh, nor does xylitol. And so um, you get brownies, you can eat a couple of brownies or three brownies and it's just all good food. Another point that I love talking about that a lot of people don't seem to know is that if you eat nutrient-dense foods, for example, my brownies, um, you can only eat so much and then your stomach goes, okay, thanks, we're good. Yeah, that's so true. You, you're full. You've had food. If you eat a bag of Doritos, you, you're going to eat to the bottom of the bag. Yeah. Because they're actually engineered to keep you hungry. Yeah, you, you and and almost every food that you eat that comes on a shelf in a grocery store in a bag that has a bunch of ingredients that you don't can't pronounce, they're actually designed for what they call craveability. It is a thing that engineers and biochemists do in a lab to make you keep eating that stuff. They get paid a lot to do that because then you can't eat just one, right? Truly. Right. Yeah, I know. And it's crazy to think that, right? Like what? Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so when you, when you have that bag of potato chips or, or Oreos or whatever they are, one of those is laughable, right? Three is like, I'm just getting started here. Right. So, and then you'll get to the bottom of it. And as my dad would say, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. That's exactly right. And we think it's funny, but it, I think it helps us kind of recenter around this. If you realize that somebody designed those so that you would make yourself ill, which is what you're doing when you eat them. Which, whoa, yeah. Oh, man. I but, know. I know, I mean, right? It's just crazy to think about. But then yeah, it's just, it's not whole foods, right? It's not whole foods. and It's not even food in a lot yeah. of ways yeah. when you think about it. It's not. Um, one of the things that I have in the, in the book that um, I don't, I think people might not stop and really stare at it. I don't know, but it's a, it's a two page spread. And on the left, I have the list of, I have a picture of my, one of my fabulous donuts and there is a list of the ingredients that it takes to make that donut, which is like five or six things. Mm, and so they're things cool. that you know, you know, they're, they're, it's um, pumpkin and the things we've been talking about. Then on the right, the whole page is the ingredients of a certain donut maker that you may drive through in the morning to get your coffee on a donut. And the ingredients in that, and I use the example of a red velvet donut. The ingredients take the whole page in very small type. Oh. The whole page. And it includes red dye 
number three and red dye number nine and all these other things that are actually banned in a lot of European countries, right? But you're eating them all the time in commercially made donuts. Um, and I think people just don't, you think, what's well, a donut, right? right? So it's got some flour and some, I don't know, it's cooked in, it's fried. Yeah, I know it's not too good. But does anybody really stop and think about what the heck is in that donut? And yet no. that's breakfast. That's yeah. breakfast for people. Right. right? Yeah. Oh, and it's just, yeah. And I think you made a good point too. Like some of the stuff that's used in our food is banned in other countries. It's like, you no, America, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And then let's talk about your coffee for a minute, um, which, you know, everybody's Right, driving through for their coffee or walking, you know, down the street with their coffee. Or except for you and I, we talked about how we live in such rural areas. <laughs> yes, okay, We're, it's not us, but certainly a lot of people. And and we actually did get a new coffee uh, shop in town. And oh. and I'll I'll tell the story that I tell in the book of of my friend Lisa and I, another a neighbor um, going. We took a class in. Um, how to open a coffee shop, how to open a cafe because she had property that, and she wanted to do that. And I thought, Oh, wouldn't that just be so fun and exciting? And we needed a cafe in town. So we went up to San Francisco to this class. And the first thing he said to us was, you're not going to be in the coffee business. You're going to be in the milk and sugar business. Mm. And I went, "Uh Oh, and Lisa and I looked at each other and he went on to talk about everything that you had to do to, to source your milk and store your milk and what kinds of milks and so on and sugar. And when you think about it, when people drink coffee, I mean, who besides me drinks black coffee? I mean, I, anytime I go anywhere, the big cities and even the small cities and go into a Starbucks or something to get a, a coffee, you know, the first thing is, you want it black? Yes, please. And I want room for cut. No, no, I just want the room. I so I won't spill it. So that <laughs> I want room to put an ice cube. That's my thing. I don't want to burn right. my mouth. And, and it's always, you know, the the creams of that. I don't want the cream. I just want the room. <laughs> right? but, but hardly anybody drinks black coffee, and um, and so that's the business that Pete's Coffee and. And Starbucks, the business they're in is milk and sugar. And milk is, if you had to, the next thing I would beg you to remove from your diet, if you were sitting across my kitchen table, would be dairy. Yeah. Because so many people don't realize that a lot of their gut problems are because of dairy. And dairy is one of the most tainted things that you can eat. Um, you know, those cows are not happy, happy girls out there. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree. I mean, and for me, actually, it's kind of what led me on my plant-based journey to start with. Um, well, some inflammation issues as well, but I had bad sinus issues and people don't usually equate that to dairy, but once I cut out dairy, you know what improved? My sinuses. Yeah, it's directly, yeah. So, and most of us who've raised kids Two, sooner or later, some kind medical is going to say to you, just quit the milk. Um, because if you have a child who has, or, or if you have a child who is, it just has a bad cold, it's like, okay, take them off dairy for a bit. Yeah. But that goes for our whole lives. And very, very few of us, I mean, there are whole ethnic groups that know better than to include cow's milk in their diets, but a lot of us are still just kind of out of habit. And of course, if you say to someone, okay, I'm going to take your ice cream away forever, <laughs> right? Mm. Um, that's, a, that's a hard thing for people. Oh, you, yeah. People. yeah. The thing that I'm eating that is all sugar and dairy, that thing, you want to take it away? Yeah, I want to take that away. Um, but the good news is, and there, there is one recipe in the book um, that is, we call it very, very good gelato. It is so easy to make in your little mini food processor in five minutes. 
it with three or four ingredients out of your freezer and your fridge and boom, you have the most wonderful frozen dessert that is also really good for you. Mm. So, I mean, not just sugar-free, not just dairy, but really, really adding nutrition to your diet. So you can do it. Yeah. I love that. And I love how you keep mentioning that in, in your cookbook, the brownies for breakfast, the ingredients are simple because I think for a lot of times people think, okay, well, I want to change my diet. I went, oh man, I'm going to have to buy all the special stuff. No. Right? Yeah. But, but the, in the beginning of the book, I do have a list of the stuff that I want to, you know, if you check your pantry, you have these things and, and your equipment, you might need these things, but it's nothing you can't buy in a thrift store. You know, it's nothing fancy, but I, I'm always excited about someone who maybe hasn't cooked at all and a stunning number of adults and young adults have never cooked anything because you can now get by without ever cooking anything. I mean, we both know, particularly men, love you, men, love you, (laughs) but who have lived on frozen pizza for years. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, and it's good. And in fact, one of the things that came out at the Plantrician's Conference was food addiction because sugar, yes, sugar is highly, highly addictive. It's more addictive than heroin. Mm. But another food that, that rated as the most addictive of prepared foods, you can guess this already, I'll bet. Um, guess what? Pizza. Mm. Totally mm-hmm. addictive. Yes, uh, the, the, the fat content, the cheese content, right? <laughs> that's, that's why they call it that's cheese addiction. Well, and, and the crust is made out of highly processed white flour, yeah. which if, if, and I'm talking to an audience that is, you know, a lot of diabetics know what a glycemic index is, and that is an index of how quickly a food becomes, gets into your bloodstream as glucose. Mm. And there are a lot of food you think of sugar as being highly, it's, yes, it is. It's high on the glycemic index, but what's higher than sugar is white rice and processed white flour. Mm. These things react in your system as if you were eating sugar. So it's not just carbs. It's the quality of the carbs that you're eating. Such a good point there. Yeah. If you're eating carbs that come with some healthy fats and some fiber, you know, it's not a carb is not a carb. If you're eating whole food, you're not mainlining, you know, high glycemic sugary stuff. If you're eating whole food, you're eating fiber along with uh, all of the other stuff. So your system is in a different way. Right. Yeah. I think that combo of the, the carbs, protein, fiber, it needs to be talked about more, right? It's the combination of yeah. those that, that really are, you know, powerhouse. But you also don't need to be sitting down with a book going, okay, what's the percentage right. of fiber and, and how many grams exactly of, if you're eating spinach and you're also eating some tofu, you're, you're fine. You don't need to figure out how much spinach together with how much tofu, just throw it in the blender and go. Um, right. Yeah. Let's not overcomplicate it. And I think that's yeah. what happens, right? Like yeah, people overcomplicate it and then it gets confusing. And then it's like, well, it's too hard to do then at that point. Yes. I'm overcomplicating yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, if you, if you're starting down this path, you will find yourself probably scratching your head at a certain point going, wait a minute. Peas are high protein. Yes, um, they have carbs, but peas, frozen peas, particularly, are one of those lovely things that you can have in your freezer that you pull out and pour a few in the blender in your smoothie, and you've made it a high protein, you know, high nutrition meal. Yeah. And people go, wait, you mean like frozen peas? Yeah, frozen peas, just good old frozen peas. 
And then people want to know, well, don't foods lose their nutrition when you freeze them? No, they don't. They actually have more nutrition than food that's been sitting on a shelf. Fresh food that's been sitting on a shelf. So if you're playing, and and so if you're, again, you're going down this path of whole food, plant-based, it's not having a fridge jam-packed with green stuff from the farmer's market, which, uh, you know, I'm for it, get green stuff, go to the farmer's market, but you can also survive very nicely on bags of frozen blueberries and blackberries and spinach and green peas. Which are very much economical as well. You know, it doesn't have to get, you know, I no. mean, you can buy a bag of broccoli at the store that's frozen for, for a dollar, <laughs> about, right. you know, or maybe a little more than a dollar, depending on where you live. But <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up because people do think, but, and I, um, I love salmon. I really like salmon and I have a great salmon recipe in the book, but I'm with all of y'all who have been to the market and stood over the counter and gone, wait, what? How much per pound? What? Um, And I don't buy meat anymore. And so I don't really know what meat costs, but I do know it's more than it was two years ago. I know that it's a lot. And so I I think uh, the COVID pandemic has raised the prices on that too, just with shipping being higher and everything as well. I (laughs) I up there nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but you don't need to have it in your diet to eat beautifully. So if you want to eat more economically, another one, I've got a lentil recipe, a lot of bean stuff in here. Beans, they're cheap and they're fabulous. They're such good food. Um, if you know just a few little tricks about how to prepare them, it's not a big deal. Oh yeah. So true. Yeah. And fruits in season. If you can possibly manage to eat fruit that is on the trees and then you take it off the tree and eat it, (laughs) that's the best kind. (laughs) And I also, I love that people are, I think, getting interested again in little gardens, you know, little victory gardens in pots and, and turning their front yards into vegetable gardens instead of fruit uh, gardens instead of lawns because lawns, I'm sorry. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings here, but lawns are dumb. You know, they, they don't make any sense. Um, they take a lot of, of time and effort to keep up. Now you're in an area, you're in a part of the country where grass just grows wonderfully. Yeah, and, that's true. The Midwest is, is known for that. Midwest yeah. kind of Northern Midwest. <laughs> right. But in California, if you've got a beautiful lawn, it's because, <laughs> A lot of gophers have given their lives for it, and a lot of insects have given their lives for it. And, you know, it involves chemicals and a lot of water and a lot of stuff. Well, you could have a beautiful vegetable garden instead um, or native plants. So um, there's a lot of that going on. There's still some resistance because in certain um, housing developments, I guess it's, it's not okay. You have to have a lawn. You can't have a a garden, a vegetable garden in your front yard. Oh, yeah. HOAs and rules and stuff. All that, all that. that. That's a a different uh, conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's in, and and I'd love to come back for that one too. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So, so eating great, it can be actually easy, easier maybe than, than what you're doing. And, um, and it doesn't have to be expensive for sure. Monk fruit is not totally inexpensive. Um, but you know, you have to kind of weigh it all against how much you spend on crappy food, junk food. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's not cheap either. You know, I mean, I think all of us have noticed how everything at the store has gone up in price. So really, you know, um, yeah, like you said, are you going to be feeding yourself with the good foods that's going to result in better health or, in, you know, or the bad foods, which, you know, it's going to cost you more in the end. Well, and I'm exaggerating just a little bit, but I like to say if you did what I suggest to you in the book uh, and the book books are not inexpensive now, you can get a you can download it inexpensively. You can get a paperback for I think it's uh, twenty nine and the hardback is 39 and I 
I hate that it needs to be that expensive, but pay me now or pay later in health costs, in medical costs. I mean, how much does insulin cost? You know, how much does metformin cost? Um, And truly, you can avoid chronic disease or, or certainly lessen the effects of chronic disease by eating this way. And you, you asked very sweetly at the beginning of this about my backstory. And the real, the real driver behind writing the book was that uh, my mother had chronic disease and she died when I was 18. Mm. And you don't even realize if you, if you lose a parent when you're young like that, how, how that affects your life. Um, it's obviously it's major, but what I realized was that there's, there's an economic, a huge, huge economic price that a family pays. It can destroy a family to have a family member that is chronically ill. Mm. And of course, kids lose parents, parents lose kids. But I, um, I decided that if I could help anybody avoid that, if I could help anybody and myself stay upright, stay healthy. I have three kids. I stayed, I was a single mom, so I managed to keep myself alive for all of that. Uh, and you can do it by eating smart. You can do it on a whole food, plant-based way of eating. It's yeah. not a diet. It's just good sense. Right. No, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. You know, it's kind of, going back and I joke with people a lot, like, Hey, there's a reason, you know, like if your mom or some adult always said to you, like, Hey, make sure you're eating your fruits and veggies. Yeah. <laughs> like there is yeah, a reason. I might not have known why they were saying that, but there's reasons why, because it's what's good for you. <laughs> well, and, and it's a tough road to hoe in this country because for the last 70 years and particularly the last 50 years, we've been kind of sold this bill of goods by a lot of very successful marketing campaigns. I mean, there are still people who think that uh, soda pop is okay, that it's just, a you know, our American heritage to have a, an RC cola or a Coca-Cola, as they said in the South. Um, and that's just our kind of rightful thing that we should have. And, um, it's stunning when you realize that that the advertising industry and the sugar industry and the soda pop industry got the best of us in this country. And it, they, you know, it's still legal to sell soda pop to kids, even though it, yes, it does. It rots their teeth out. Yeah. Uh, and but it's legal. It's okay. And a lot of people think it's just fine. Um, you know, when you really, when you really look at what's in Red Bull, (laughs) you think, wait, wait, I thought this was going to make me more energetic. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Red Bull. Yeah. Or any of those other, you know, let's just go back to the black coffee. Let's just keep it at the black coffee people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things I talk about a lot in, in the book and whenever I, I talk to groups in person is read the label. Yes. Ever put anything in your mouth unless you have read the label and you know what's in it. Because if you did, you'd be eating differently. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. And hey, you know what? It's going to take a bit longer at the grocery store for, you know, until you get it down. But, uh, you know, then you'll just learn your favorites. And Well, and what I did with, with my kids, um, I, I was a single mom when they were two, three, and four, and from then on. And um, very early on, I, I asked them to do it. Anything that they wanted to eat, they had to either read the label or find somebody who would read it for them. And they, oh, wow, that's such a good tip. They helped me in the grocery store. You know, they weren't just raising havoc in the grocery well, although they did that too. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, just, that's just kids, right? That's just kids. But um, they had jobs. They had to find, like a scavenger hunt, you know, yeah. find me this item. 
And if they saw something that they, that looked great to them, great. Okay. Read me the ingredients. Can't read. Okay. Find somebody who can read the ingredients for you. And if that was a brother or sister, sometimes it was person who worked for the store, but, uh, and, and we, I'm sure aggravated more than one employee in more than one store. But the point was they learned really early in their lives that what was in a box was a, was not necessarily that picture on the front of the box. Right. Yeah. It is amazing. And my kids will sometimes read the ingredients off of stuff and they'll kind of be like, oh, what is that? You know, yes. then there's lots of questions like, yes. well, what does that mean? What is this in there? Or, you know, even in the nutrition label itself, well, this has this much calories, this much fat. And it's kind of like you're breaking Just, it down for them. Like, okay, well, let's talk about what this means, you know? Right. I've always said to people, pay no attention really to the nutritional breakdown because in fact, and, and I learned a lot more about that doing this book there. It's, it's very clear and the example that I like to give is two carrots. Two carrots raised on two different farms in two different kinds of soil, different times of the year. Those are not the same thing. Hmm. They will have a totally different nutritional profile. You know, sometimes eight, 10 times different. Yeah. In the research that's been done, it's, it's amazing how much they can differ. But the, what you want to read on a label is ingredients. And the game that I played with my kids that, you know, I knew I was diabetic early along. So it was find the sugar, right? Where's the sugar? Which is sometimes very well hidden. So you, you learn all of the different names that sugar goes by. I can't believe how many adults will say to me, well, it's okay. It's honey. (laughs) No, it's not. Honey is sugar. Well, it's okay. It's maple syrup. No, it's not. It's sugar. Um, yeah. and the list goes on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I had a, a dietitian on a few months ago and she, you know, said like, Hey, your body still knows that that's sugar. That's yep. right. Still knows the sugar. It doesn't matter if you, you know, some people are saying it's healthier. Your body's like, I still think it's sugar. <laughs> it's sugar. That's right. And it, you can, you can say, well, if you're going to, I mean, I know that honey tastes wonderful and I know it comes from bees and I know that maple syrup tastes wonderful and it comes from trees, all that. But um, what you try and go for is how to get a little tiny taste of that and make it count. You know, just the problem with processed junky foods is you're getting big doses of sugar and you don't even know you're eating it. Right. Yeah. Then kind of your taste buds get really used to that as well. Do you have some tips in the book as well as kind of like, you know, um, because it is a little bit of a process of kind of when you start to use um, less sugar, you know, your taste kind of starts to change after a while, but it can be a little bit of a shock at first. Um, I, what I find with this, the sweeteners that I'm suggesting Everybody's taste buds are different. That's quite yeah. true. And one of the sweeteners, particularly xylitol, can have a slightly cooling effect on some people's tongues. It's not a bad aftertaste. It's not, but, but if you test it on them, they, they'll say, oh, I feel this kind of cooling. Um, what is absolutely true in all the research, at least, is that your saliva does change. You can measure a change. And so it is true, as crazy as it sounds, that you could get to the point where you actually crave arugula or broccoli. Yeah. That those are the things that you want to eat because that's what sounds good to you because you have chemically changed what's going on in your body. So, and, and, and I'm an example of, so I don't like sugar and I can't eat sugary things because they taste, they, they give me a bad aftertaste and they make me thirsty. I don't like them. And they don't even look appetizing to me because I know what they are. So um, I'm okay. I'm perfectly okay, but I've been at this a long time. But I do think anyone starting on the path will be surprised. I mean, people are surprised at the book. It's like, oh, you mean I can have, I can have, uh, 
lemon curd that my grand, yes, you can have these wonderful pumpkin pot. Yes, you can have really lovely sweets with no sugar. Yeah. And if we did blind tests, you would not know it didn't have sugar in it. Although if you ate it long enough, like I have, then then it would taste better to you actually than sugar. Mm, that's so interesting. Your saliva is the one that changes. It does oh, chemically change. Absolutely. And our habits, all of us, it's what we do every day is habit. Yeah. And, you know, if you really take a hard look at what you're eating every day, how you're eating it, and that point, how you're eating, I want you to sit and eat. And I want you to sit and eat, if possible, with somebody. <laughs> it isn't always possible. And you don't always want that. But eating isn't meant to be stuffing something down standing at the sink. It's not meant to be in your lap in your car. That's not eating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. We try to sit around the table as much as we can or sit out on the deck in the summer and, uh, you know, I mean, it happens sometimes when you've got kids and activities and such, but I think, like you said, there is that brings a lot more mindful, I think, to your eating when you're with people and you're doing the community, you know, around the table. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a deal. You know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but I just, I, I, I would love for people to just give, give a little more thought to how they're eating. Yeah. Your, your calories, whatever they're, they're made of matter more if, if they're eaten in communion, you know, with, with people. Um, and those of us who have families, you and your children, there is so much that happens at the table that is not food. It's not about food. Right. And I don't want us as a culture, no matter what subculture you're talking about, but whether you're living out on the, the, you know, Mesa in Arizona or up in Michigan or out on the beach in California, I don't want any of us to miss what happens at the table with people that we care about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now that I think about it, you know, and it's like, you know what? The kids have it right. My kids are so into when they have friends over, do they get a stay for dinner? Do they get to stay? I mean, it's like the number one question of the day. Like, do they get to stay and eat with us? It's like, they they love that. They love that. And I, I don't know what they happened to adults where we're suddenly not doing that anymore. It's huge. And, and I'm going to be a real granny here, but I talk about it in the book. I want kids who are barely walking to be carrying stuff to the dishwasher. I want kids to feel like they are an integral part of putting food on the table, of choosing food, of making food, of sharing food, all of that is kids' business, you know? It's yeah. a whole family getting together to do it. I, it's kind of gotten to the point where mom is the one who gets to make herself absolutely nuts in the kitchen trying to do things <laughs> while the kids are at Mandarin or at soccer or here or there doing something in their room. That's... I, that's not what I want for my family. I want food to be a thing that we share. And sharing food means you're sharing in the preparation of the food and you're sharing in cleaning it up hmm. afterwards and growing it if possible. Kids love to grow food. They love it. And they will eat what they have grown and or prepared. Yes, so, yes. My husband... My husband, you know, what was it a while back? I never knew this about him. He's like, yeah, I used to eat raw potatoes from our garden. And I'm like, well, that might be a little too much. I don't know if I need to know that, honey. <laughs> yeah. that's, I'm like, that's... I don't think many people eat the raw potatoes, but that's good, huh? <laughs> well, but that's a perfect example of what happens when kids get engaged with food. They need to see what it looks like when it's in the dirt. Right. right. When it's under the dirt, what happens? And it's a root and all those things that create curiosity and interest and taste. Um, 
Yeah, uh, it's it's all good. And making mistakes, you know, having big fails in the kitchen is huge. It's a great way to learn. Um, and it, it, we've all, all cleaned up the results of those fails, <laughs> but um, that's all right. You know, that's how you learn. And I would not have wanted my kids to reach adulthood without having those kinds of skills and knowledge and curiosity. I mean, if you don't get food, what do you get? You know, yeah. what do you understand if you can't understand where food comes from? Right. Yeah. Cause we all, we all got to eat, you know, we all got to eat. So you might as well eat to live. Right. <laughs> well, it, another thing about a whole food plant-based diet and uh, um, I keep referring to my book, <laughs> of course, but it's, it's essential to me. It, if you're, if you're doing this to make yourself healthier, please understand that you're also making the earth much healthier. Yeah. It is much, much better for your community for the whole wide world, if you are eating thoughtfully and if you're sourcing your food thoughtfully, it's huge. If we would all do that, this would be a different world in a hurry. I mean, the, the pollution that is coming out of factory farming is horrendous. It's awful. And it's awful in, um, well, let's say political ways too, but I mean, it is not, it, socially, pollution isn't distributed evenly at all. Some people suffer, some communities suffer a great deal more because of pollution. But we all have a responsibility to get rid of it. And one of the things you can do that is good, that's easy, that's fun, that tastes good, is eat well. If you're yeah. eating a whole food plant-based diet, you're helping in a small way, but also a big way to heal the earth. Oh, yes. Oh, I love that. And I love everything you are talking about and mentioned in the book. And, you know, I think I read that one review um, on your book just said, hey, this this just all just makes sense. It's just common sense. And, you know, and I think that we just all just need a good healthy dose of that, right? Like it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple and it can just be common sense that we need to be reminded of. Well, and Sarah, the, I, I wrote this book, not as a chef. I'm not a chef and I'm not a nutritionist. I'm a grandma who learned early in my adult life, how to put a meal on the table in 15 minutes because I had to, I had to, I had a career. I had three kids. I was the breadwinner. I, I, there was no way, right, that I could avoid putting good food on the table. If I was going to put good food on the table, I had to learn how to do it in 15 minutes. So this book is basically just, um, I'm a granny, I'm a Mimi, and I'm talking about how to throw some good food on the table fast. Yeah. Uh, and I hope inexpensively in most cases. And yeah, it's all simple. It's all just good sense. Most of it. Um, I do. There is a little bit of bourbon in one of my recipes. I'll admit that. <laughs> That's um, okay with me. <laughs> you can leave it out if you want, but it, it's real. it's my mushroom soup. So mm. simple, so good. And Everyone goes, wait, mushroom soup, that's the stuff that you put on the green beans on Thanksgiving, right? You open the can and you, mm. yeah, no, it, if you will make it from scratch, it's only three or four ingredients. So easy. It is absolutely delicious. And it's just super good, nutritious food. Mm. And then you can use your homemade mushroom soup to make green bean casserole with your own green beans which is really good. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Mm, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> so that's just like, it's like, why do we wait for Thanksgiving for pumpkins and green beans and mushroom soup? Let's not. Let's eat it all the time. Yeah. For real, well, right? Yeah. yeah. Although there are certain times of the year, I think, especially um, if you live in like a four seasons place where your body kind of craves different things, you know, like right oh, now sure. it's summer in Michigan, it's warm. So we're kind of like, yeah, let's have like our you know, salads and, you know, that 
fruits and this just sounds but you know sounds good and then in the winter when you're kind of cozy and <laughs> no you bet and there, there's a lot of science behind it um uh too that that if you are eating seasonally you are doing better things for your microbiome yeah because the things that are ripe and that the birds are picking to get their biome all straightened out are the same things that will help your biome. And by that, we mean gut, you know, what's going on in your belly because it's all bugs. We're all bugs. That's all we are is, is packages walking around full of microbes. Um, uh, just make sure they're good microbes if you can. Yeah. Eating seasonally is one way to do that. We have plums ripening in on our trees right now. They're so good. Oh, that does sound yummy. Oh, I'm jealous. That sounds fabulous. We're still, and Michigan's more peaches and like nectarine type of fruits, the stone fruits. Uh, well, I, I'm all about peaches and nectarines. You have cherries too though, right? Yes. And they, yeah, they're coming on actually in our area. Um, usually about right now is when they have start to even have cherry festivals. And yes. Yeah. And here where I am near the ocean, it's actually, unfortunately, too cool uh, to grow cherries or another favorite of mine, apricots. Mm. Apricots need some heat, and so do cherries. And I forget, do cherries need a freeze, too? They um, probably do, I'm sure, because yeah. Michigan's famous for that. <laughs> you know, it'll get warm in the spring, and then, bam, it's it's freezing almost. Well, and a thing that, that I talk about in the book that uh, I know is probably – something you care about too, is buying your food at local farmer's markets. Yeah. Um, buying your food locally if you possibly can. There are so many health benefits to that as well as your community being healthier. Um, but more and more, most of us have farmer's markets that are available close by. I don't know if you're around. You, it's probably pretty darn cold in Michigan in the winter, right? So. Yeah, we're not so much the farmer markets. They start up about May, usually May to yeah. October. Yeah. Yes, but um, supporting your local farmers through CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture, yep. or farmers markets is also a great way to get just the best food, what's in season. And, yeah. um, and I love grilling the farmers about which of their peppers are the very sweetest ones or whatever. And they love talking about it. And um, yeah, so for food geeks or just regular folks, farmers markets are, are a good thing. And here mm. in California, they go, of course, year round. Um, in my little town, they don't. They, they just go during the, the warm season. But um, not too far from here, there are farmers markets going all year long, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's so amazing, so amazing, Lynn. This has been such a great conversation, and thank I you, Sarah. Want, thank you. Yeah, I want to. I want. Can you tell people where can they find your book, Brownies for Breakfast? Where can they connect with you more? Do you, Do you have a website or anything like that? I do, and it's lynnbowman.com. You have to remember that Lynn is L Y N N E. B-O-W-M-A-N.com. Uh, please check it out and you can get yourself on my list, which means I'll be sending recipes out to you. And when you open the website up, it, the list is right in front. So sign up if you would like to get more information. I'm, I'm not a nuisance, I promise, but maybe once a week I'll send something out and um, more pictures of things there. You can buy the book on Amazon. Uh, if you just start typing in brownies, you, it'll usually come up. But it's Brownies for Breakfast by Lynn Parmiter Bowman, um, middle name P-A-R-M-I-T-E-R. -E but if you just put in Lynn Bowman, normally it'll come up. Uh, and you can buy it in, you can download it uh, to your iPad or iPhone um, or other implement. You can buy a softback, a paperback, or a hardback. I highly recommend the hardback for people who actually cook because it will stay open. Um, it's as big a format as I can do so that you can see the, the print and so that you can see the ingredients and, and the instructions in your kitchen. 
I yeah, love, love kids. If you have kids, they'd love to look through those cookbooks.com. Yes. And I always tell them, hey, grab a sticky note, just put, you know, mark which ones you want to try. <laughs> yeah. And it's got huge pictures. It's very visual and graphic and kids will like it too. Um, I promise that. And um, you can find me on Facebook or on Instagram. I love hearing from people who are making recipes and uh, sending pictures or posting pictures on Instagram or on Facebook. So I can see what you're doing. Love taking questions from people about this. It's a mission for me. I am, trust me, making nothing from the book because on Amazon, you don't. Um, it's, it all goes to, to Mr. Bezos, uh, not to me. But uh, it's a convenient way, certainly, to get the book. And if you have any difficulty, please just look me up online, lynnbowman.com, L-Y-N-N-E-B-O-W-M-A-N. I am happy to hear from people who are interested. Happy. Mm, that is so awesome. And your social media, is that at Lynn Bowman as well? Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will definitely link all of that in the show notes. You are such a wealth of knowledge. So thank you for writing the book. Thank you for just spreading the information about, you know, how, you know, whether you're living with chronic disease or, or not, you just want to start embarking on a more whole foods diet, how much it can greatly just improve your life and your health. And I just love all the, just the common practical information that you've shared with us today. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you for being part of the mission here. I think a lot of us have to get together to make this happen. And, and, um, so I stand shoulder to shoulder with you. Oh, Um, well, thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank you. Anytime. Let me know. I'm happy to come and ask and answer questions. If you're Listeners have questions um, that you'd like to talk to, just give me a buzz and we'll do it again. Thanks. Awesome. And fun. Wow. Wasn't Lynn such a great conversationalist and she was such a wealth of knowledge. I could have kept talking to her for hours about plant-based eating, about kids and about getting them to help in the kitchen and also just encouraging others in their own plant-forward lifestyle changes. Her book, Brownies for Breakfast, not only has some amazing recipes, but I love that they are simple too. It doesn't have to be hard. Plant-based eating doesn't have to be complicated. I love that authors and educators like Lynn are showing us the way. If you want to learn more about Lynn and connect with her, head over to our sponsored blog, badtothebull.com forward slash 47. Once again, that's badtothebull.com dot com forward slash 47. Thanks for listening.